Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible. And stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And for those of you listening, you didn't (laughs) see it, but we started this recording and Tanner just like, uh, you just look like you were this super cool guy putting on your glasses. Oh, yeah. I always look like you. Yeah, but looks are very deceiving, so (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, it, it was cool. It was cool. I, yeah. I wish I wore glasses just so I could do it like you did. Just so you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's tough to be me, Glenn. You just have to be so <laughs> suave all the time. Uh, no. Anyway, we have a guest today, which is we exciting. Do. Yeah. Uh, we have... Actually, I'm just going to... I'm going to do the intro right now. Oh, you're just going to do it? So I'm that's... just going to jump into it. <laughs> okay. Go for uh, it. Guys, today on the show, we are so lucky to have Jonathan Dodson joining us. He is the founding pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas, and the founder of gcdiscipleship.com. So he's the author of numerous books, including the one that we're going to be talking about today, which is Gospel-Centered Discipleship, uh, which is now a revised and expanded uh, second edition uh, that came out 10 years after the original. And yeah, so there's some updates to it, uh, but overall, the book itself is really good, and we're excited to pick it apart with him today it was good it used to be blue now it's red whole all kinds of stuff has changed no i'm just kidding there, jonathan actually uh we talk about it a little bit but he he actually did i think a decent amount of work in this new revised edition and it's all it's all well worth it and it's worth picking it up even if you read the old one 10 years ago when it first came out it's worth revisiting and our, our conversation we had with him today was super helpful so let's jump into it Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Um, we're 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 so pumped to have you on to talk about this book. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Tanner. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll just start with the basics, which is we you call the book Gospel Centered Discipleship. This is a now the second edition, which I think it's it's been about ten years, right, since it first came out. Yeah, it's a kind of a ten year anniversary anniversary second edition. You know, some of these second edition books that can be kind of a little bit sus, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, they get a new forward and there's no new content. But yeah. I actually revised the entire book and added three chapters. So it's a, it's a better book and a longer book and hopefully a richer book. Yeah, that's good. How, yeah. how uh, I'm just curious from a personal perspective, how was that process? Ten years being removed from it. How, did you feel like you did pretty good the first time or... <laughs> well, wanted to uh, change a lot. <laughs> you know, when I went back and looked at it, it was pretty humbling. Uh, I'll be honest. Mm. Like the the writing was not very good. It was the first book I had written, mm. and uh, so you know, decades worth of writing and publishing, and to look back and I guess that's a good thing. Like you know, yeah, uh, I've improved, but yeah, you know, it was it was a little too flowery and repetitive in places. Mm. Um, it needed some illustrations that were lacking. You know, so um, so I was grateful to take the opportunity to improve, you know, the manuscript and uh, and hopefully that's a, a blessing to readers. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a long time since I read the, the first edition, but I went back through the second one. So I, I didn't look at I didn't contrast and compare. But <laughs> I felt like this one was really good. Um, OK, good, good. <laughs> so gospel centered discipleship. Let's just start from from the get go and kind of okay. lay out those terms and what you mean when you say those three big things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I realize it's kind of got a gospel centered discipleship is a mouthful. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's I think it's worth keeping those together. 
you know, I mean, we're all we're all disciples, whether we're Christians or not. You know, discipleship mm. was not uh, unique to Jesus. There were mm. Plato and Socrates were disciples. Uh, this was very common in in the in the Greek world with philosophers. So um, we're we're discipled by media inputs, uh, consciously or unconsciously. The communities that we immerse ourselves, they shape us. They they kind of shape our values. So everyone's being discipled. The question is, how are you mm. discipled? And that's why I think it's important to put gospel gospel centered in front of discipleship, because for the follower of Jesus, um, we want to be most profoundly shaped by his good news. And I think the most concise definition of the gospel you find in the Bible is Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, the historical man from Nazareth, Christ, the Messiah who dies for our sins, but doesn't just die for our sins, rises from the dead and is Lord of all creation, of every aspect, of every sphere, of all of our lives, everything. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, I get to bank on his death as a Messiah, Christ, for my forgiveness. But I also am obligated to follow him as Lord and to give him the golden gifts of my own obedience. And so you can honor the Lord either way through repentance of sin or obedience and faith. But either way, you want to keep Jesus central. So um, I, I find that you know Jesus is a much more forgiving master or Lord than anything else in my life. Yeah, uh, certainly than myself. You know, I'll be hard on myself for how I lived that week. Jesus is much kinder and more gracious. Uh, we might make mission or justice or father being a father or a mother that might be kind of our functional Lord during the week. And we, we kind of blow it with our kids. Uh, we haven't really shared the gospel or done anything for justice. We might get down on ourselves. Master mission is a cruel master. Um, he, he mocks you when you fail, shames you, but master Jesus, well, he dies for you. He, he forgives you. So, you know, keeping the gospel as the motivational center of following after Jesus really has a street level difference in how you live. Yeah. So uh, that, that's why I think it's so important that we keep gospel in front of our discipleship. Man, yeah. I, uh, right off the bat, I thought it was really interesting. You kind of pointed out, and I, I guess I don't think about this that often, but there's direct and indirect discipleship, like both inside and outside of the gospel centered piece of it. Um, and so I, I don't think we think about that enough either. Uh, we are indirectly uh, being discipled by our surroundings, our community, our what's in front of us on a screen. Um, so that's really interesting. But while that can be bad outside of the gospel centered, it can be mm -hmm. good within the gospel centered. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Just not not something I think about. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It's 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 um, it's important to think about because. Uh, if we aren't thinking about the unconscious influences in our life, then we are less likely to be consciously and unconsciously influenced by the gospel. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I think we're seeing a lot of that in controversial issues with politics, um, you know, race, sex, gender, abortion—you name it. Um, the SBC uh, report came out yesterday. Uh, it's just there's a—it's very easy to just kind of get churned up, turned up, outraged. Uh, whatever, by just the the one-liners flying mm. across the cyberspace and Twitter sphere and all this, 
and to be a person who is not responding primarily to headlines, but primarily to primarily to Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Yeah. Uh, that that makes a difference in how we respond on important issues. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So a couple things I want to cover. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go. I think I'll lean to. So we've we've talked about gospel centered discipleship. But mm-hmm. but as you said, it's important to keep that gospel centered in front of it, and that's because we're constantly trying to put a bunch of other things in front of it. <laughs> we're trying mm-hmm. to define it with other adjectives. So what are what are some examples of how we go astray? I think you you kind of mentioned a couple of them, but yeah. what is discipleship that isn't gospel centered? How how can that look uh, askew? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the book can talk about legalism and license or religious performance uh, and kind of irreligious. So the two ditches, uh, if you're not keeping the gospel central, are, you know, kind of operating under your own freedom. Um, Ray, Malon- Ray, Ray LaMontagne, you know, freedom is an empty cup from which everyone want to drink. You know, it looks great until you really start drinking freedom and um, – uh, then you realize, man, there's no guardrails for my life. There's no uh, security. There's no, it's actually kind of hollow, empty, dissatisfying to just live as unto yourself. Mm-hmm. We're made for, for guidance. We're made for holy rules. So uh, license is one ditch. Legalism is the other. Well, the holy rules become all defining. They become the measurement of my worth. You know, so everybody's rule centered. You know, you're either a person who bends the rules to the left, maybe breaks them. Or a person who uh, has to keep the rules. And uh, so the legalism and license are two ways we get off track in following Jesus. But when we follow Jesus, he, he keeps the holy rules, the, the law, the, the word of God on our behalf. And seeing that uh, should compel us to actually follow after him and imitate him. And uh, if we fail to keep the rules, we have the hope that Christ himself has kept the word for us. So... But those are the two ditches, you know, and uh, I think over my life I've had times where the left kind of pulled, you know, the, the steering wheel pulled left and then uh, kind of other times pulls more right. Maybe sometimes in a given week, you know, you can go <laughs> left or right. We all have proclivities, but, you know, in seasons. And I think it's important to, to think about that and then to be very honest with people in your life where you veer so that you can head off sin and temptation and enjoy Christ and follow Jesus and not get stuck in these ditches, which are really kind of self, they're, they're, they're harmful and uh, they're, they're not good for the community. And um, Jesus is so much better. So, yeah. Yeah. They're really, so the ditch I, I would go to <laughs> the yeah. religious performance ditch. Um, okay. And, and they're really uh, like slippery is the word I want to use. Like, right. Okay. If I try to say, okay, no, 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 let me let me recenter, let me go back to the gospel, then it's, you know, I, I want more Jesus. So then it's like, well, what if I put some more rules in my life that I have to follow to try to, to get me in front of Jesus more? And so it's it's really easy to feel like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm straightening this back up and then kind of stumble into the same behavior over and over again. Yeah. So I, I guess how what how do we have a north star, right? How do we how do we keep catching ourselves and keep realigning over and over again and make sure that we keep Jesus as the main thing? Yeah. Well, I think you know it it, it comes back to that kind of central claim: Jesus Christ is Lord, who's the functional Savior of my life, who's the functional Lord of my life. You know, 
is it rules or is it is it breaking rules or bending rules? You know. So I think uh, the North Star obviously is Christ Himself. Um, how do you how do you remain entranced with Christ or enamored with Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't I think just the basics are so critical. You know, mm-hmm. it's just waking up. You know, Psalm ninety three says, uh, "I will declare your loving kindness in the morning." And I will remember your faithfulness by night. For centuries, Christians prayed morning and evening. Um, I'm not sure that's a common practice anymore. Yeah. To wake up and go to bed, to begin your day and your goals, and to reflect on what you've done in your day with Jesus, mm-hmm. talking to him. Um, it's, it's actually, for me, in the evening, it's quite powerful to just lay on my bed before I fall asleep and think through my day and ask the Lord to kind of help me walk through my day. And sometimes there'll be sins that I didn't notice that I had committed, that I could confess to him. And I, and mm. it's a, it's a freeing thing. Um, it, it's a, it's a, an intimate thing. And, and I, I, I'm like, man, Jesus was more patient with me today than I even realized. And, yeah. it's, I, and I go to bed kind of within the arms of Christ, you know, so, I mean, there's scripture, you know, immersing yourself. Scripture is uh, is the very voice and presence of God. John Frame describes Scripture. When you wake up in the morning, um, it's very, God's very speech to us. It's as if when you wake up, he's standing at the foot of your bed and he's speaking to you. Mm. It is God's personal authoritative word to us. To, to, to follow Jesus and to avoid the ditches, I think supremely we have to see Jesus as a real person, a, a person yeah. who right now has hair, eyes, teeth, a person who is divine, who is human, who is interceding for us, who is for us, not against us, to really come back to the personal speaking present Jesus. That, that, really, that really helps me deal with the ditches, you know? Yeah. He pulls me out of those ditches and, and it's like, oh yeah, it's not about rules. It's it's about you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I, I know one of the things that we have tried to focus on more uh, this year has been the idea of like recovering spiritual disciplines. Um, and we specifically talk a lot about being in the word, praying. So the two you just hit and then and being in fellowship uh, with other believers. And so we don't, always kind of going back to that first thing we don't recognize those as forms of discipleship always but they are yeah uh and the closer we draw into those things the closer we're drawing into jesus um and hopefully yeah keeping our focus on him as opposed to diving into those ditches and yeah trying to scramble our way out well that's what i say making sure we continue to root all those things in the grace of god and in knowing christ as a person and in a relationship because it's really easy for me to just make it x's and o's check boxes mm-hmm. of like read the bible prayed and 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 i'm not really involving jesus all that much uh other than maybe maybe just in name yeah i think our um what one one writer says our inner psychology of speed um, runs counter to the, the slowness and pace of Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. Dallas Willard was asked, uh, if you had one word to describe Jesus, what would it be? It's an interesting thought experiment. I mean, what would you, one word for Jesus? 
that's hard, but yeah. <laughs> still like, I know, I know what my go-to would be, but I, I guess to sit and process it and think about yeah. it really, I mean, What's love, the is, love, love is the go-to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Hmm. What, D- Dallas Willard said, relaxed. Huh. Hmm. That, that Jesus is an unhurried Messiah. Yeah. He, he, you know, he even slows down on purpose so that people die and need to be resurrected. Yeah. You know, like Jesus is, it, I think it's connected to what you were thinking of. Love is inefficient. Yeah. Love slows you down. Love asks that extra question with that awkward person at church. Yeah. Love says, I know it's my turn to do the dishes, but I'm going to do them anyway. Love says, I've got 10 things I need to do. It's a busy week, but I'm going to slow down. I'm going to be with Christ. Yeah. And I, I think the inner psychology of speed, the productivity drive, the efficiency mindset causes us to see spiritual disciplines as mere disciplines and not as communion with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so for maybe part of that is just repenting of a kind of inner we what we really value is getting stuff done and getting it done fast and feeling mm-hmm. like I've nailed it or I'm important or I'm productive. It's just an awful place to place your worth. And we miss this very, the real Jesus, the personal, yeah. intimate, forgiving, majestic Christ, you know? So yeah. anyway. I like that. I, I'm just thinking back. Uh, we're going through the book of John at church and mm. uh, we're just in John 8 and talking about, he, he's talking with um, the Pharisees about who he oh, wow. is and all this. And he's yeah. at this point where I forget exactly how it's worded, but he escapes them. He mm-hmm. he removes himself from, from the temple yeah. or synagogue where he is. And uh, then it goes right into the next chapter where he's meeting the blind man. And because it's a, a new chapter, automatically I think, okay, like in my head I'm thinking new scene and everything. But no, it's a continuation of that last set of verses. He's still like fleeing that area, but he stops. Yeah. And talks to this blind man. And, and so hearing you talk about like him slowing and being relaxed, like that example pops into my mind. And I, I guess I, I haven't taken time to think about that. That's really, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. I had made that connection. You know, Luke talks about this a lot about Jesus uh, often withdrew to a desolate place to pray. Mm-hmm. The yeah. son of God needed to slow down. You know, yeah, and he and he chose places that were quiet, desolate. You know, uh, there's a place in one of the, uh, Gospel of Matthew where it says, "And he walked beside the Sea of Galilee." Wait, what? You, Jesus just went for a walk in creation. <laughs> like, wasn't yeah. he getting stuff done? <laughs> it's the kingdom of God. How can you slow down to go for a walk? You yeah, know? but there he is. You know, and I think American Christianity, we just don't see that when we read the Bible. Because mm-hmm. we're yeah. so, we have the inner psychology of speed when we're missing out. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, on, yeah. The, on the, go ahead. And I was just going to say, I, rem- I have to remind myself all the time. Like Glenn, the word Glenn used earlier was love. And then, you know, Dallas Willard uses relax. But I have to remind mm-hmm. myself all the time that in the, in the list in Corinthians, it's love is patient. That's the first mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, not that maybe it's you know better than any others, but it's the first one they mention, and I think it's for a reason. Uh, and so I always have to catch myself because Jesus is much more patient with uh, yes. with myself, with other people yes. than I almost ever am. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's much God more. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, he's much more willing to to work slowly. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, moving on. There is one point in the book um, you talk about kind of in your younger days you were you were discipling, and you say you're make you were you realize you were making disciples that could share their faith but not their failures. So I'm curious what yeah. you what you learned from that experience and why is it so important that we'd be able to do both. Yeah, I, I mean, we are to learn from examples. Uh, Hebrews 11 is full of examples, and we're told to, you know, we're told to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. So there is a, a place for, obviously, in discipleship, imitating the good things we see in people's lives and the godly things. But I think it's also important to show people not only where we succeed, but also where we fail, because the reality is we all are failing, <laughs> you know, and I think we like to put the best foot forward, not only because we want people to to obey Jesus, but because we want people to see our best, yeah. right? We yeah. kind of want people to approve and to like and to and perhaps stand in awe of our insights, of our holy choices, of our great spiritual rhythms. And that feels good. We find draw significance from that. And uh, it's so important to... To show people, actually, I did. I didn't pray. Actually, I fell into this sin. You know, actually, um, I am my my church. When I share illustrations of my own failure, uh, when I'm preaching, uh, people love it. They love to hear how I've blown it. You know why? Because they love sin. No, because it's relatable. And and of course, I'm not up there gloating in my sin. I share it in an effort to show the the patience the love, the mercy of Christ. And it's in that example that people are now, they're not standing in awe of my obedience or my faith or my greatness. They're standing in awe of Christ. Mm. Look, Christ was patient, forgiving, gracious with him. And that means he'll be patient, gracious, and forgiving with me. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking back, I... I think it was a few weeks back now we were talking about the idea of like having a mentor or somebody to disciple you and how um, you can tell you can feel the difference between somebody who you're approaching with an issue or something you're struggling with and they either haven't been through it or they have they're not sharing the pitfalls that they experienced and yeah. how different that can be from somebody who is willing to open up and kind of walk through the mess with you, share share what they've been through, because you're I don't, I don't know there, there's something more to it. Uh, you're you're not afraid to to let yourself be transparent and and um, I don't know. It, there's a difference. Yeah. And so now hearing you say that exact same thing, but also pointing it back to Jesus, just brings it full circle for me. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> It's it's authentic um, yeah. in the best sense of the word. It's it's your true self, and I think a lot of us are afraid to show our true selves to one another because we don't have a habit of showing our true self to God. Mm-hmm. We we get caught in the ditch of religious performance, and so we're trying to do all this stuff for God, but really we're struggling with it. But we don't talk about the struggle with Him. We just go, "Oh, I blew it. Forgive me. I'm going to keep spinning the plates." You know, so. Yeah. It, it's hard to be authentic and transparent about your failures other people if you're not sincerely transparent and authentic with God. And if, it, if efficiency is your chief value, 
well, man, that's going to take some time. That's going to threaten your chief value, you know? Yeah. So I think that stuff is interconnected. Um, but if we are slowing down and we are seeing God as a person with a face who loves us and, uh, and confessing our sins and enjoying his grace, we'll be more, we'll be more secure. And there, there's really nothing to lose by sharing how I blew it. You know, yeah, because <laughs> I'm already I'm like as secure as is I could ever be. Yeah, in the arms yeah. of Christ. So, like, if you think less of me, I'm actually worse than you know. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I'm still loved. I'm still loved. Yeah, know? yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's I, I recently went through a situation where uh, I kind of realized in this in this one area of my life I was withholding. Um, any vulnerability. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to like open up. And I, re- I realized I was robbing myself ultimately at the end of the day. I'm like, why, why aren't we connecting with these people? Why isn't this working yeah. or gelling? And yeah. then at some point it clicks like, oh, this is, I'm kind of waiting for someone to, to like, I, I think it's, it's easy to become bitter and be like, well, why don't they kick down the door? And I, and then, and then God's like, you could just open the door <laughs> and, and like share and, and be vulnerable. So I think that is a really key piece to uh, gospel-centered discipleship. But I, I am also curious: is there a what? Is there ways we can sometimes go sideways in, in, with vulnerability and maybe maybe use it in a way that's not helpful? Uh, certainly. I mean, if vulnerability is the end goal, then then you're going to go sideways. Yeah. Uh, because you can actually be proud about your vulnerability. You can kind of uh, flaunt your imperfections. You can kind of be engrossed in your self-analysis. You know, some of these personality tests can lean that way in that you, you're you so uh, in touch with all of your brokenness and sin and baggage that it's just, it's just kind of the way you talk about yourself. And... Um, and and then other people want to talk about how they're broken and they're back. And we're all just talking and there's, there's, there's no hope of Christ. There's no uh, attempt for righteousness. It's just kind of like, we're all just checking out each other's wounds and brokenness. And uh, that, that becomes a very introspective, unhealthy mm-hmm. and hopeless, you know? So you can definitely, you know, go off the, again, it's like if, if you're transparency centered in following Jesus, it's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for the community. But if you're Christ-centered, well, you have nothing to lose and to be transparent. You have everything to gain, and you're going to be motivated as you look at Christ, not transparency, to imitate him, yeah. to trust him, to to put your faith in what he thinks of you, not whether people are impressed and how much you know how broken you are. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it just becomes – it can become another thing you can manipulate, right? Well, I know if I'm yeah. vulnerable or if I'm if I'm authentic or open in this way, then, then I can move up in whatever, like, star chart I've got going in my head yeah. or, or in that community. But it may not actually lead to any real change or real communion with Christ, those, those kinds of things. So uh, yeah. I, th- I think that's really helpful. Um, you, you know, maybe just to ground that in, in some scripture – uh, first, John talks about um, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the Savior. And confession today in Christian circles is just kind of saying a private prayer or getting the getting the ugly out. Mm-hmm. But confession, that word means to have allegiance towards something. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not a kind of um, regurgitating your sins and kind of having this you know therapeutic uh, kind of 
offload. It's actually an allegiance to Jesus. Mm. I'm confessing that Jesus is my Savior, not this. I'm confessing that Jesus is my Lord, not that. You know, so I think even our understanding of confession is is off. Yeah, and so it leads to this kind of transparency, transparency centeredness instead of confession to Christ mm-hmm. with putting my allegiance in, in Him. So we've we've kind of defined our terms. We've even jumped into this a bit, but you spend the whole second section of the book talking about the the motives or the motivation mm-hmm. of a disciple. Uh, how do we cultivate a godly motivation in our discipleship and and not fall into all these ungodly or or skewed motivations that we can sometimes have? Yeah, uh, I talk about three uh, different ways to do that in in that middle section. Um, the heart of a disciple. You know, one is religious affections or spiritual affections. That is having our hearts, our hearts being captivated, our our being being uh, captivated by Christ. Uh, you know, so religious affections. Uh, you know, it's um, we all talk about what we're taken with. So if you're into the NBA playoffs, you're going to talk about the game. You go to a movie, you know, see the new Top Gun. You're not going to go, oh my goodness, I can't tell anybody about this. You know, I don't want to infringe on what they think. No, you're you're excited. You're talking about like this is an awesome movie. You should go see it. You know, read a book. You know, like this is amazing gospel centered stuff. You have to read this book, right? <laughs> right? Correct. Correct. No, but really, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> but we we all talk about what we're taken with, you know, and yeah. religious affections is getting in front of Christ like we're talking about long enough to be taken with him, to see a fresh vista on his majesty, on his humanity, on his um, grace. You know, so uh, that's one way uh, that, that we avoid the pitfalls is, is to have our hearts uh, moved by the very presence and glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is that I talk about there is the warnings and promises of Scripture. You know, there are a lot of warnings that uh, shake us up. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord, the author of Hebrews says. Um, that's gospel-centered because the gospel is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Hmm. The effort of moving closer, not just to goodness but to christ uh we were our our definition and thought about holiness is really off we often think of holiness as you know um how far can i get away from sin but really it's how close can i get to christ it's personal it's jesus holiness is about proximity to jesus enjoyment of jesus so there are warnings and then there are promises you know blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god what's the promise you can see god (laughs) yeah be pure. And the purer you are, the closer you are. Bless you. So, like, what a promise. What a warning. Both motivate me. The pitchfork and the carrot, you know? It's yeah. like the holy pitchfork prodding me along. And the, you know, the heavenly carrot. You want to see God? Come on, you know? <laughs> so those are, those are motivations for disciples to avoid the ditches. Um, so, yeah, so the, the religious affections... Mm-hmm. the promises and warnings of scripture and then repentance and faith, you know, our response to the gospel to believe it or to uh, repent for having not believed it. But we honor Christ either one, either way. If I repent of my sin, I'm looking over here, I'm believing this and I turn away 180 degrees. And now I'm looking over here. 
I turn my back on sin and I turn my face to my Savior. Well, I'm saying, even though I failed, I'm still saying, finding, discovering Jesus is better. Mm-hmm. I glorify yeah. him with my repentance. I can also glorify him with my uh, faith or my, my obedience, trusting him and saying, no, he is better. I'm not even going to turn. I'm just going to trust. But mm-hmm. either way, Christ is glorified as Messiah or as, uh, as Lord. Mm-hmm. So, um, so th- those are the three that I explore and unpack, you know, to keep us motivated um, in following after Jesus, you know, the religious affections, the promises and warning, and then repentance and faith. Yeah. Is there and just, I, I, of, I need all of them. I was going to say, just out of curiosity, <laughs> is there any one uh, that you feel like leans closer into, to you? Um, I, I, yeah, I need, I need them all. You know, I, yeah. I think when I wake up, you know, hopefully I haven't sinned too much by the time I get <laughs> in front of the Bible and I start praying, you know? So, so like yeah. when I wake up, I think religious affections is kind of like, man, this is how I want to start my day. And uh, I'll be like, Lord, I don't really want to read the Bible this morning. And I don't even really want to pray. But would you meet me in my apathy? And would you would you show me yourself? Would you would you show me the beauty and glory of Christ and move my heart this morning? Uh, And that's my hope is just when I open the Bible in the mornings is just to see God with a with a fresh sense of who he is. Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe that's how I begin. And then you can better believe I'll be pulling for repentance and, and faith the rest of the day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some people might pull out some warnings for me. Some people might encourage me with promises. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to recall those throughout the day, you know, so um, like with, with lust, I, I think of um, Timothy, you know, that he says, uh, flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with all of those who call on God from a pure heart. It reminds me. Uh, but then that's kind of a warning, flee from lust. But then, you know, there's that uh, Matthew 5, um, blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. Oh, there's the carrot. All right, turn away. Avert your eyes. Be satisfied with God. Look at Christ. He's more satisfying. You know, yeah. so that's the kind of like street level kind of motivations of the heart. I'm out of the I'm out of the day. Hopefully my heart's been stirred, but I mean, I'm going to have to have a promise. I'm going to have to have a warning because temptation's around every corner. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing about both the promises and the warnings is they're just drawing me back to Christ. Yeah. You know, like, like Robert McSher- Murray McShane said, for every look at sin, look 10 times at Christ. <laughs> so discipleship really isn't moral performance. It's about looking at Christ again and again and again. Yeah. So moving from the, you know all those motivations, you you go directly into what to what with what power do we do this? And, mm-hmm. and the answer is the power of the Holy Spirit. But we leave him out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like he's kind yeah. of the the. I mean, I think Francis Chan called his book "Forgotten God." It's like, hey, we don't ever talk about this guy or uh, you know what what role he plays. And so. Uh, how is it that we often miss the Holy Spirit and, and, and how is he involved in this process of, of gospel-centered discipleship? Yeah, I think it depends on kind of your religious background. Some people uh, may respond to the Spirit um, in terms of what he, his, his showiness, his uh, miraculous gifts, um, and may have a certain view of the Spirit. So they're more enamored with his power than his person. Uh, and he does have power and he can heal, but I think more often than not in the Bible, the spirit 
is more subtle than showy. He's prompting me to do the dishes when I don't want to. Yeah. He's prompting me to um, speak to that person at church I don't want to speak to. He's prompting me to confess my sins to Jesus or read the Bible. You know, that's not that's not a showy, but it's man, it's the spirit. Yeah. And I think what's happened with a lot of people is you chalk that all up to your reason. Well, that's my reason telling me to serve. That's my reason telling me to forgive. Are you kidding me? Why would you even think that way apart from the Holy Spirit? Yeah. The Spirit is the one who tells you to sacrifice because it looks like Jesus. It's the Spirit that tells you to forgive because that's what Jesus did for you. That's the Holy Spirit. And what we've done is we've neutered the voice of the Spirit and credited our conscience or our reason. And so we've cut the Spirit out of the ordinary, everyday prompts and communion that he's trying to to invite us into by crediting reason or discrediting reason. Oh, I don't, I don't, that's just, you know, that's just duty or, you know, whatever you do to get out of the godly thing of following Jesus. So uh, th- then there are other, uh, you know, camps that kind of just perhaps their religious background is like, you know, the spirit is a threat. The spirit, um, it, you know, he saved me, but it's really all about Jesus. But the spirit Philippians 1.19 is the spirit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You can't pull the two apart. They're not, that's modalism. Mm-hmm. You know what? God, God, they're always working in concert. Yeah. So if you're all into Jesus, you should be really into the Holy spirit, mm-hmm. like a hundred percent into the Holy spirit. He's <laughs> equally God. Yeah. He's the spirit of Jesus and uh, he's for you and in you and enables you to be in Christ. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so, so I think our, our, our backgrounds kind of hamper our experience and knowledge of the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we need to kind of uncover uh, again who he is as we look, as we look at the Bible and, as, and we begin to relate to him. No, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And I, I honestly, I think sometimes, uh, I mean, we were talking specifically about the Holy Spirit, but we see it other ways too, um, where I think people think of God, the father, uh, they, they think automatically old Testament and, and just wrath and, and all this. And then they, I use, I think you said this, they focus just on Jesus because of the save him being the savior who, for him allowing us to be in communion with God, <laughs> even though there's this disconnect there. Um, yeah, we see it yeah. all over. So that, yeah, that's really interesting to think about it. Yeah, so sometimes I'll ask people, you know, if you had your choice to be discipled by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who would you pick? And people were like, Jesus, he, I mean, he is the master discipler. But Jesus himself said, it's better that you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Huh. That I send you the helper. Why? Because you can't do anything that I've taught you to do without <laughs> him being in you. Yeah. You know? So yeah. you should pick the, pick the Holy Spirit to be your discipler. Well, if he's your discipler, have you talked to him recently? <laughs> ha- have you, have you, yeah. Do you listen for his prompts? Mm-hmm. Do you ask for his filling and power? I mean, he's your best discipler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, and it's even a little thing you say there but I, about talking to him recently. But I, I even wonder, like, practically how, how you tease that out because we do – 
tend to be uh, very Jesus-y in our language all the time. That's who we always talk about. It's what we always point to, and you know, for good reason. I think the Bible uh, likes to talk about Jesus a lot. But you yeah. know, do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Like, how do we then, uh, you know, get uh, not leave him out and make sure we we've kept kept him in his rightful place? Yeah, yeah. No, I I do think it begins with. For me, it began with repentance. Honestly, like. Uh, years ago being convicted I had neglected the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. my, for you know 15 years of my Christian life and um, realizing man he's fully God he's fully worthy of worship and um, and I've just taken him for granted you know yeah. and and that repentance I mean I can remember the day the time of where I was and then I asked the the, the spirit to attune my heart to his presence and um and so it began with repentance, and then it begins with the practice of recognizing the voice of the Spirit, you know, uh, the things that He does. You know, you can get kind of goofy with this. It's like the Spirit told me to buy orange juice, not apple juice. I mean, like, you know, so people people can kind of like, the Spirit told me this about your life. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Scripture, every time the Spirit speaks directly to the apostles, it's for ministry. It's not what car to buy. It's not what apple juice to get. It's not to tell the future of somebody, mm-hmm. you know, not that the spirit isn't powerful enough to do that. He's omniscient. But every time he speaks, he tells Paul, you know, go here and plant a church. Mm-hmm. Peter, go share the gospel with Cornelius. Philip, I want you to go share the gospel with, a Philip, with this uh, eunuch. You know, he's prompting us towards ministry. So how do you know if it's the voice of the spirit? Well, if he's encouraging you to do something like encourage a person to speak the truth in love, to sacrifice, to serve, guess what? It's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not your enlightened conscience. Mm-hmm. It's not your moral nature. It yeah. is the indwelling person, third person of the Trinity yeah. speaking to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and let's, let's say it's not. What do you got to lose? <laughs> oh, I encourage somebody. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was whatever. <laughs> you know, there's nothing to lose. Yeah. So I, I think it begins with repentance if it's not a practice. And then it continues by knowing his voice and recognizing the kinds of things he prompts us to do. Um, and then it will get into more wisdom areas. My wife yesterday after the service, she said, I think this is from the Spirit. So she, she kind of gives a caveat because she knows she's not inspired. But she says, I think we should start using questions, the discussions, questions we have for small groups. We should put those up uh, at the end of the service so that people can think about that question. Because a whole sermon can be so overwhelming. But if you've got a question or two to walk away with, I think that could really nurture uh, Christ and, and, and that sermon, that message in our people. And I was like, immediately, I was like, that's a great idea. That's probably of the spirit, you know? Um, so, you know, in those more wisdom areas where you're trying to navigate, it's not clearly biblical, but it could, you know, you want to say, I don't know, this might be from the spirit. It might not, mm-hmm. but I think the spirits, you know, so um, yeah, repentance, um, knowing his voice, uh, making a caveat as you think about it. Um Crediting him for the things that he does in scripture mm-hmm. and not only crediting Jesus, yeah. you know, yeah. 
So those are a few things. Yeah, I yeah. think that's great. So as, as we start to wrap up here, you know, we, we've, we've done a lot of um, big themes, big ideas, overarching. Yeah. But uh, as you probably know, everybody at the end of the day is like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> Maybe not always in a helpful way, focus on necessarily just what to do. But how, what is the practical ways you begin to answer this question? What, what does it look like to try to cultivate gospel discipleship in your church? What would it look like for me as a person mm-hmm. to say, okay, I, I want to I wanna live into this. How do I do it? Yeah. Um, well, First John uh, says that if you do not love the brothers, you do not abide in God. So a real Christian loves the brothers, that is, loves the church. A real, there isn't really a New Testament idea of a, a single individual Christian who's churchless, that operates kind of on their own spiritual agenda. Everyone, even Paul and the apostles, submitted to the Jerusalem Council, the church. You know, So um, you want to include the church in your discipleship, the brothers, the sisters. Um, Jesus always had disciples attached. Disciples always had people attached, you know. So one way to do it is to do it in community. What do you do in community? I mean, the three things we kind of boil it down to for like discipleship groups or friendships or relationships is to repent of sin, to rejoice in Christ, to reproduce disciples. Mm-hmm. That, that as we get together for this hour and a half in a yeah, kind of planned setting, our goal is to repent of sin, to rejoice in Christ, and to reproduce disciples, to, to take what we're learning. We talk about what we're taking with. It doesn't stay there in that hour and a half. It follows us into work, into family, into friendships and neighborhood. We talk about what we're taking with. So yeah, those are three kind of practical things. We've already talked about how to do a lot of that, you know, repent of sin, Rejoice in Christ, that religious affections part, and then reproduce. Share share your life with other people. You know, share what God's sharing with you. So, th- those are three practical ways to do it. You know, I talk more about how all that works in the book. You know, um, different things you can do and how to read scripture together and all that stuff. Make men- make disciples as a mentor or as a peer. But I mean, if if you're going to walk with three things, I think it's three pretty good things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. <laughs> and uh, like you said, you you do unpack that even more in the book, and uh, we would highly recommend it to anybody who's interested. Check it out. We'll put a link in the description below for you to pick up the new revised version. And I think you even added more practical stuff at the end of this of this version of the book than, mm-hmm. than the previous one. So it's it's really helpful. Um, Jonathan, we're super thankful that you came on today and, sh- and shared all this. Yeah, with us. thank you, thank you, Tanner. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> I appreciate the time, and um, thank you for your ministry. And your ministry through the podcast and just enjoyed, you know, getting into the good things, the the deepest things of life with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been awesome. And and Jonathan, if we have listeners who want to know when either the twentieth edition comes out or <laughs> or just want to follow up with you and, and some of the ministry that you're doing, how could they yeah. go about seeing uh kind of the projects and the work that you're doing? Uh I have a Twitter and a you know Instagram account. Um uh, at Jonathan underscore Dodson. And okay. uh, there's a Jonathan Dodson uh, dot com or dot org where I kind of try to keep uh, people up to date on books and stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. again, we we really appreciate you coming on and, and talking through this with us. Um, yeah. And we're excited to, to see what you got going on next. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.